Okay, fans of the show, welcome back to a special episode of Stephanie Meyer Ruined My Life. This week, I'm talking about the book Corinne by Rebecca Morrow, I believe. And this is dropping in this feed because the rumor is that this book, Corinne, which came out this year is actually written by Stephanie Meyer. And the rumor is pretty well-founded. It is... um, The bio of the book is something to the effect of, hey, Rebecca Morrow is actually a pseudonym for a New York Times bestselling author. And that's the entire bio. So it's completely possible that this book was not written by Stephanie Meyer. This book was written definitely by a white woman, but I would say that, but I would say that a lot of white women write novels. So I, you know, um, it's one of the only industries that's like women dominated and then white on top of that. So it was originally published July 12th, 2022. It has a Jodi Picoult review on the front of the book. It says, I was riveted, a modern day Romeo and Juliet. We know that Stephanie Meyer is good at writing Romeo and Juliet type stories. I wanted to take a look because partly I wanted to see if I could pick up on any of the things that other Twilight fans were picking up on that would make them think that this book was written by Stephanie Meyer. According to a TikTok I saw, which is a pretty reliable source, honestly, it's the Twilight Talk TikTok account. It's one of my favorites. Um... I don't know the woman's name, but she talks a lot about fun little weird facts in the Twilight universe. So, like, she'll talk about the fact that James the Vampire wore shoes that were shaped like feet for most of the movie, which if you pay close attention to, you can see. So, she's got a lot more emphasis on the movies as well, but she's definitely on Book Talk, and she's definitely read the books. So, according to her, there was somebody who's read Twilight 20 plus times who thinks that this book, Corinne, was written by Stephanie Meyer. I am going to respond in this voice memo format uh as i go through the book i'm reading the ebook so i can see the exact percentage of the way through the book that i am i do think it includes title pages and end notes but right now i am 10 percent of the way through if i did not know that people thought this was stephanie meyer i don't know that so far i would make that jump on my own but I'm going to go ahead and provide some similarities that I noticed if you are curious about such things. Let me pull up in my highlights thus far. Let me bookmark this. Okay, so the premise of this book, again, so far, 10% of the way in, not even a third of the way in. I obviously don't have a lot of the plot, but this is centered around a girl called Corinne who goes to church three times a week with her born-again Christian mom and all of her siblings. I did just recently read the Jeanette McCurdy book, I'm Glad My Mom Died, which had a really similar format um, of just households, like sort of you know, uh, relying on the man of the house to bring in money for multiple children and being stuck in very rigid rules that the children recognize don't really make any sense, but the adults in the family need to grip to for some sense of reality. One of the first things that comes up in this book is that Corinne, the main character, is sort of put off by 
men and boys holding all the roles in the church. She's bored with the church. She doesn't have anything to do. She doesn't outright say that she likes it. And one of the first, or dislikes it even, or hates it. She knows that that's a sin. But it's just sort of a boring thing that she has to do. And they go three times a week to stay on the good side or whatever. And like... In Jeanette McCurdy's book, which again, I just read, which is the only reason it's coming up, is they were talking about being sort of like lesser, like second tier Mormons. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting from the family depicted in this story as well. As we know, Stephanie Meyer is Mormon. I want to take a note here because I feel like this could get out of hand, especially on TikTok pretty quickly about reading autobiographical context into a novel, I think is dangerous, especially because we don't even know who the actual author of this book is. So... I mean, speculate all you want. I'm about to do it. But in general, I don't think that that's a wise way to read a novel. I think it makes potential novelists scared to write certain themes into their books because they're afraid of people saying that like that happened to them in real life or that they want those things to happen to them. I don't really think that's the case. I mean, Stephen King writes all over the place really horrible things and he seems to be a pretty happy guy. So it's not really like that. I don't know if Stephanie Meyer has the wherewithal to keep herself completely out of novels, but I just want to point that out. It doesn't matter because even if this whole book is, even if Stephanie Meyer is the character Corinne, even if the actual author, and it's not Stephanie Meyer, is Corinne, it doesn't matter. Um, let's not make up things about people's lives based on that. I just think that's an important rule of thumb when talking about books. The other half of my warning to especially short form content creators like TikTok about tiktokers about this type of thing is pseudonyms for book writing it can be secret um but it's not really like the same as like outing somebody who's gay or like uncovering it's it's not that personal um i know this again also from stephen king stephen king had a handful of books written under a pseudonym i believe in the 90s richard bachman was the pseudonym he at some point somebody found out that the copyright was held by stephen king and they outed him i, I just used the very word they but they outed him as richard bachman it's different though because the reason an author uses a pseudonym is to have a book written without the spotlight that would otherwise be put on their work we all know that if actual stephanie meyer put out a book with the name stephanie meyer on it everyone would read it and be super critical of it and have extra opinions and that's just the way it is and sometimes like in the case of stephen king he just wanted to put out a couple books without any sort of media spotlight for those books and once people found out yeah it is kind of a bummer the illusions ruined but he was able to like kill off the writer like he had fun with it and i don't think that he was even mad about it i think that he wished he had put a copyright in someone else's name because it is fun to keep those things a secret but with the bio of rebecca morrow being that she is a New York Times bestselling author, that's sort of inviting people to figure out who it is. And that's something Stephen King said as well when his pseudonym came out, was a lot of bestselling authors will write novels that don't get pushed in the same circuit as if they write under a pseudonym, and that's what they're going for. So it's not actually a huge invasion of privacy to figure out if this book was written by Stephanie Meyer and if for some reason it comes out confirmed one way or the other that it was or was not written by her it's not the end of the world and it's not like ruining anything because when you put in your bio that it is you're a best-selling author but you're just doing this fun side project 
you're sort of asking people like it's literally it's part of the game um of book reading so anybody sort of outside of the book reading community might not know that it's not that serious is all i'm trying to say and therefore let's move on move forward in our grand speculation about this book that might be written by stephanie meyer Stephanie Meyer's views on gender and Twilight are warped, as we already know from my entire series. Go listen to it if you haven't yet. But we also know that Stephanie Meyer does have uh, an understanding that women are treated as less than in these circles and also just kind of in life, the way that she views it. So the fact that this character is sort of coming in with like, all right, I don't like being a woman in this circle because it doesn't feel good. I don't have as many options. That's very in tone with her. So far, the tone of the book could be stephanie meyer i've noticed in and every other person who's ever at twilight has noticed that stephanie meyer keeps a pretty surface level understanding of her characters throughout twilight and even though those books are written from the first person perspective of different characters throughout you don't get a lot of thoughts just a lot of descriptions of what's happening a lot of dialogue that's what i see a lot of so far in corinne 10 percent of the way in it's written from a third person narrator so it's not the, quite the same um it's not so obviously lacking the thoughts because we're not inside anyone's head but we're not really getting anyone's reaction and with a third person omniscient narrator you totally could throw in that corinne was um enthused by whatever or upset with whatever but we don't get any deep dive into anyone's thoughts because that's not how stephanie meyer would write it if this person is not stephanie meyer they certainly have a similar thing next point of business what's the next thing i highlighted oh this is for my <laughs> i still want to write an episode about breaking dawn and abortion but i have not been able to think about abortion since roe v wade was overturned in a way that is anything other than hate fueled so one of the very first things that comes up page five looks like if a coworker has a question about hell or what if your neighbor's considering an abortion would you or your neighbor ever talk about having an abortion of course that's on stephanie meyer's mind if this is her let's see what else we got all right the driving point of the plot so far is there's this really well-to-do attractive guy in the church his name's enoch i need to maybe google how to pronounce that his name's enoch miller he's been close friends with corinne and corinne's family for the entire time that they've been in the church and enoch also has younger siblings they're both seniors in high school but he's like the pretty one at church and then at school he's sort of an outcast they talk about like how he always sits across the cafeteria and all this it does read like twilight but i'm like come on like if this was stephanie meyer would she write these same exact little motifs of how a high school works she might the long and short is she might so there's this very strong large mormon man or they don't actually say mormon yet if at all there's this very strong church man and he's the hottest one at the church and like the prettiest girl at the church is probably going to marry him once they graduate all this stuff but outside of the church he's sort of on his own when corinne's father leaves the family corinne's family is forced to move into the basement of the miller's house enoch's house and now corinne's spending all this time with enoch corinne and enoch walk home together the first day that corinne is going home to enoch's house instead of her old house where her dad left and he says you're practically my sister and i highlighted this because 
I'm getting some romantic undertones from this relationship, and I wonder if it'll if it'll go there because Corinne is the ugly little you know her family's not the first tier mormon church and they're not going to get married and she's probably just going to be some bible pusher if she stays with the church she's not going to have like children and the whole cute family and all of this enoch definitely is going to have all those things he's the number one churchgoer and so is his family so it's like princess diaries like okay i wonder if corinne at some point is going to take her glasses off and take her hair down and now she's hot because that's also how it works in Twilight, and that's also how this cliche story usually goes. But I just wanted to throw out there that Enoch does re- does refer to her, you're practically my sister. He also has, the way that he's described is very moody um, and Edwardish, Edward Cullenish, to be honest with you. He, it's like, he gets these like angry moments, but they don't explain like why he's angry. It just seems to be part of who he is as a man. Another little motif that resembles Twilight, Corinne switches schools when they move into Enoch's family's house, and now she's got this whole new kid plot line, identical to Bella. Um, I just, again, I'm like, okay, would Stephanie Meyer write these same little tropes? I don't know. Um, Corinne is... Okay, Enoch's driving, and Corinne's, like, nervous about it. He's driving under the speed limit. Though, just so... It's weird. I think you just kind of have to have a sense for it if you've read Twilight enough times. There's certain moments like this where it's, like... We get in the car... You can describe a car ride in a book in a million ways. You don't have to describe a single moment of the car ride if you don't want. You could describe everything in the car ride. Something about the way that this is described to me... It feels like the same length of a drive as, like, Bella going to school in Forks. Like, it's the same sort of, like, oh, no, I don't like the way you're driving, uh, and then you're there. And, like, just the the pacing of it feels very Stephanie Meyer to me. Again, if it's not Stephanie Meyer, fine. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Also, as if we didn't know, Rebecca Morrow was definitely a white woman. She does have, like, this... Um, basically like Gabrielle Union in 10 Things I Hate About You character named Juanita, who is a black girl with perfectly curled bangs, who is introduced. And as if we didn't, as if we needed confirmation that this author was white and all the characters were white, we do have the singling out of the black girl. Yeah. Okay. Then like the Enoch's mom has this like really red hair. Um, We've got these, like, really unfunny similes. Like, Paul really put the piss in the epistles. Okay, it's actually hilarious when I read it out loud. But there's also, like, this other simile that's talking about Enoch's voice. She's like, Enoch's voice is way too low. Like, it's not even hot. He sounds like an airplane that was flying too low. He sounds like the bass line of a Rush song. That just sounds like some corny-ass shit Stephanie Meyer would say. No matter what Enoch wore, he looked like the answer to the question, what would a large, heavy box look like wearing human clothes? You can't tell me if you've read Twilight that these don't sound like descriptions Stephanie Meyer would have. And then the last thing that I've got for you so far, 10% into the book, is going to college wasn't strictly against the rules, but it might as well be. Going to college was a sign that you were more invested in man's world than in God's plan. Corinne hadn't actually known anyone from church who'd gone to college, but she'd heard the horror stories. This all falls in the same exact religious, stereotypical story, not even just fictional story, but real life story of like, 
oh, okay, what, like, going to colleges for liberals who read books that corrupt their minds, turn them all into witches and gay people, which happened to me, so be wary. But if, I hope, uh, for the sake of this, this little segment, I hope this book was written by Stephanie Meyer, just because of Bella's treatment of college as just this, like, sort of optional thing, like, oh, well, if I can't find a man, or, you know, like, if, it, if Edward won't turn me, then I guess I'll go to college just for something to do. Bella Swan is not religious, but she did have this, like, very lukewarm stance towards college as just a distraction if her thing with the boy didn't work out. So, I'm curious to see what happens next. This is all going to be one episode, so here- you can now hear me speak about the next part of the book. Alright, I didn't even realize how tip of the iceberg I was. I am now 22% of the way through the book. I just finished the part- of the book that is set in, let me double check, 1992. So Enoch and Corinne do have a thing. They have, they end up holding hands a lot under the table and eventually they have sex. Now, we don't know what really happened because after this incident, we cut forward in time to the year 2005. I'm about to start that part. I just finished the 1992 part. Some notes I have. Um, first of all, I do want to just say I was right. They had a romantic thing and I think it's creepy that someone who's like your stepsister would be in a romantic thing with you. I don't have siblings. I'm an only child. I don't know if that's normal. I've wondered about this before because sometimes like people will, instead of being like, yeah, I'm in the friend zone, like I can conceptualize friend zone as an only child, but they'll be like, oh no, he's like a brother to me. And I'm like, it's weird because I feel like you also flirt with him. So if you say someone's like a brother or a sister to you, does that mean you would still bang them? Like, that's my question to the audience, if you could let me know. Anyways, as far as the text to this point, I'm going back and forth. There are big parts of it that feel like Twilight. Let's see, I had this one part that I thought was very Stephanie Meyer. She saw Enoch during study hall in the cafeteria. Enoch used the time to do his homework, because that's what you were supposed to do during study hall. Corinne used it to watch Enoch. She watched him hunch over his books, his hair falling into his eyes, watched his wide shoulders, watched for hints of his spine in the back of his polo shirt, signs of his shoulder blades moving, watched from the back of his neck. So this is creepy, first of all, but it's so something Stephanie Meyer would write. And it's also just, again, the pace is all very Stephanie Meyer. One thing I'd really like to note, though, is the themes seem overall deeper than anything I've ever seen in Twilight. Granted, we are now, what, one, two, like 17 years after Twilight came out, so presumably Stephanie Meyer would have matured as a writer. I'm having a hard time with that because we've only really seen her rewrite Midnight Sun twilight life and like she writes the same book over and over so if this is a different book i mean it's it's explores much deeper tones and like she's talking about the church a lot and the problems the church tries to confront should i drink alcohol are violent video games dangerous like stuff like that's kind of more than i would ever expect from stephanie meyer and then another thing leading into why it might still be her is there's this like pacing thing that she does that blew my mind back in the day where um 
it it's in new moon when edward leaves bella there's like four pages in a row if you've ever had a conversation with me you've heard me talk about this <laughs> there's like four pages in a row that are like uh september october november i think and it's just the passing of time because edward's gone so rebecca morrow's doing that in this book where she's got these stuttery really short chapters all of a sudden once things happen with Enoch and Corinne and she's also doing it a little earlier because they only hang out on Saturdays so she's just like cutting from Saturday to Saturday to Saturday and that feels like a more advanced version of the same technique that I don't know I don't know how much that actually indicates about like an author's tone obviously other authors do that as far as general gender themes there's a lot of like Corinne really wants Enoch Miller to like take her like hold her hand and she'll do absolutely anything they've got this elaborate board game setup thing they're doing and she'll do anything she'll keep adding games and when they have sex when they hold hands when they kiss she's got this like refrain of like he was going to be the one to tell her when they had to stop she would just do it forever that is such a twisted stephanie meyer ass logic rebecca morrow thinks like stephanie meyer they did have sex swear to god if she gets pregnant off the first time she had sex not revealed yet i'll let you know yeah i guess that's it so we've got more mature themes some of the same tones we've got the same pacing that you'd expect from stephanie meyer but there are just there are moments where i'm like this is different so i'm not sold all right i am now 45 percent of the way finished with the book and when I got back into it, I was thinking, oh my god, I've hit the jackpot. This is definitely Stephanie Meyer. And here are the reasons why I was thinking that. First of all, we find out that this book is taking place in Kansas, and it feels like somebody who is not from Kansas writing it. There's not a lot of description about weather or monuments or, I don't know, things that would indicate that it's Kansas. Like, the, the setting doesn't really seem to matter much. And on top of that, there's a couple things I was like, oh my god, and it could be someone from Phoenix writing about Kansas. Stephanie Meyer lives in Phoenix, as we know. She was very comfortable writing about Washington without living there. It wouldn't surprise me if that same author could also write about Kansas, especially because Corinne is at one point described as wearing a cardigan that was heavy enough to be a coat. Until I moved out of Arizona, I didn't realize that, like, coat, sweater, sweatshirt were not all the same thing because that's what we call anything with sleeves in that part of the country and this isn't a joke this is just how people talk so once i got out of that part of the country i was like oh no like in places where it snows a coat is a different thing it's heavier it's better for snow whatever a sweater is going to be a little lighter etc etc a cardigan could never pass for a coat so i thought that was a suspicious thing and maybe somebody from outside of kansas would say that i looked up the weather in kansas it does snow there and a snow scene happened after this was written the other thing I got really hung up on was this line about Corinne killing time by going to Super Target. So I was looking up Super Targets because I haven't personally seen one in years. Turns out they're not in the part of the country I live in. They're not in Pennsylvania and New York, but they are in most parts of the country. And there's quite a few in Kansas City. So that's actually fine. But I was thinking someone who lives in Phoenix would think that you just drive to a Super Target and that's just a normal thing. But there's really, again, not that many Super Targets in the world. And later on, when Corinne and Enoch go to a concert together, they drive into Kansas City. So I don't, the, the geography of it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I'm like, okay, this is somebody who, now we can rule out writers that are from Kansas. 
the plot. Spoilers ahead. If you didn't catch that, that's what we're doing here. We're doing all spoilers. The plot is that she did not get pregnant. They had sex um, when they were in high school and Corinne was cast out from the church because Enoch went to the church leader to like confess that it happened and didn't warn her that he was going to do that. She got cast off from the church. She decided instead to go to college because that's what you can do if you you don't go to college if you're going to church because like you don't need college if you go to church in this world. So, um, but she decides to go to college instead. So she did take the ACTs and whatever else. And she's been out of town for quite a while, but she's now returning back to the area because her mom had a heart attack and she's good now. But it seems like Enoch has actually become sort of a friend of an in-law and he's in the same circles so they reconnect they have lunch they are starting to like really get to know each other and at this point i'm still getting stephanie stephanie meyer vibes pretty hard because like they go to a restaurant again it's just like it's something about the pacing i know the scenes i'm describing are the most common scenes possible it's like you know school cafeteria restaurant scene but the truth is that stephanie meyer has only written in a handful of locations and we're still hitting those locations pretty hard unfortunately for all of us sleuths these are also the locations people are most likely to be at so it's not that special you know if she was writing all about like caves we would think oh wow yeah that's the cave lady but it's not it's restaurants and whatever but i was still thinking stephanie meyer at this point also because it was just driving me crazy that there was not a single pause for reflection in a very stephanie meyer style there was no there wasn't enough internal thought for me. But one thing that was sticking out to me as not Stephanie Meyer very early on was the use of this like double parentheses. So she's got something in parentheses immediately followed by something else in parentheses, but not in the same set of parentheses, if that makes sense. Let me see if I can find an example for you. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, we get a lot of internal thoughts with like, Corinne shook her head. She pressed her lips together like, it's okay. And then in parentheses, could you lie with your face? That's just a one set of parentheses, though. Let me see if I can find the other. Yeah, Enoch nodded. So Corinne nodded. They didn't have any kids. And then parentheses, she worried that first month, too. Enoch must have worried, too. And Bonnie. There was no such thing as abortion. They might have found... They might have forced him to marry her. What a joke. What a disaster. And then that parenthesis closes another parenthesis. But it was fine. She was fine. Look at her. Close parentheses. That, I you mean, I don't see people doing that much in general, and, like, it's, like, pretty stylistic. Never seen Stephanie Meyer do that, but on top of that, these are always used to juxtapose, like, a reflection of what's actually happening paired with a thought that Corinne is having, and we, again, never really saw Bella's thoughts. Corinne's already a different character. As she starts setting boundaries with Enoch, which this is where I was like, oh my god, like, this is not Stephanie Meyer or her understanding of the world the more boundaries that Corinne sets, the more she talks through how she doesn't owe Enoch anything. I mean, she got cast out from her church and her family for having sex while he, meanwhile, became a church elder and ended up stepping down from that position only when he got divorced. He got divorced because the pretty girl that from the church that he was, like, married to, that he was with when he had sex with Corinne, um, she's a lesbian. So now we're getting to these like really complicated plot points that I'm like, I just don't think that Stephanie Meyer could finesse these types of plot points together very well. And the more boundaries she's setting, the more rich the text is becoming. And I just don't see that from the Twilight Saga at all 
and so this would be this would be a very very advanced version of that kind of story and so what i'm starting to think now is it's becoming it sounds less and less like stephanie meyer over time reading this and i think that part of it is because it was sort of like muted at the beginning um like the personality was muted out of the story while she was still in the church so you don't that's why you don't have these reflections and stuff because it was just moving from moment to moment and craving these connections with Enoch and going to church three times a week and all of that. It was that kind of movement and that's the kind of movement Twilight has for sure. But now we're getting a slower, way more reflective. It's a very different way of writing that we've got now. I mean, we've got Corinne swearing sometimes now in really small ways. I mean, she's not super vulgar, but like Corinne went back to the ball the next day. She bought him an emerald green necktie and signed up for a fucking cell phone. The writing in this part of the book feels very natural and has a lot of emotion in it. I would be very surprised if Stephanie Meyer wrote this part of the book and the author of this book seems to be employing a technique where the more naive version of her character sounds like Stephanie Meyer. It's like this author was employing the literary technique of writing like Stephanie Meyer to give the feeling of to give the feeling of shallowness and convoluted gender expectations. The writing has become so good and complex that I think the writing in the first part of the book was completely intentional in a way that I don't think Stephanie Meyer would ever do because the way that she writes is the way that she writes and that's how she writes naturally and that's how the first part of this book sounds but it doesn't get stuck there. This book is getting really good and I'm excited to finish it and I really don't think it's Stephanie Meyer at this point. It gets too spicy to be Stephanie Meyer and it's like from mayo to ranch level spicy but it's not something she would write. Nothing too inappropriate happens. It's still the story of two church kids that need better sex education. The conflict now is that Enoch is still a member of the church and Corinne refuses to rejoin the church and they want to be together but in order to date openly they they have to figure that out. So that's the bridge we're about to cross in this book. Glad she didn't get pregnant. Um, I'm glad she's drawing boundaries. I did have to laugh that as the second she started drawing really firm boundaries and that Enoch was fully respecting them. I was like, oh my God, this isn't Stephanie Meyer. This can't be. Because part of what was giving me Stephanie Meyer vibes before was the blind following of Enoch. Like, oh, he never looks at me or he never looks at Corinne and he never, you know, she's constantly like memorizing the shape of his face and like thinking about him when he's not around and staring at him while they're at home and he's never ever looking at her but we're just supposed to assume that he's just thinking about her a lot which is the exact way that stephanie meyer's male characters get let off the hook in her stories is just assuming that they're doing more than they actually are when their actions speak otherwise Corinne has been able to confront Enoch about how much social capital he had in the church just because he was a man. As of right now, he's still going to church, but he seems to be responding really well to the stuff that she's saying, and it feels kind of healthy. All of those immature understandings of religion and gender that are happening at the beginning of the book are maybe just a reflection of the fact that she was a teenager and it was supposed to be like 
intentionally writing in a different voice to show character growth. So that's my check-in for now. Right now I'm landing firmly at not Stephanie Meyer. All right. I am 100% finished with the book. I thought about checking in again at like 80% or something, but the truth of the matter is all of this second half of the book can be wrapped up here. So what happens is Enoch and Corinne fall in love. They're spending a lot of time together. Corinne has spent the last 10 or 15 years trying to get back on her family's good side after she was cast off from the church. And she is going to like, she's, she's getting more involved in their life. So she's like babysitting sometimes. She's going to a weekly family dinner, etc. Meantime, Enoch still goes to church until one day this devastating thing happens where he casts himself out of the church and no one knows why, except for Corinne, because the reason he's casting himself out of the church is because he wants to, um, he wants to be closer to Corinne and he needs time to think about that and, uh, figure out what he's going to do. We already know that he was stepping down as an elder because his lesbian wife divorced him. So he is now pretty much surrounded by outcast people. His best friend is still his ex-wife. And there's a lot of really, really in-depth and really interesting conversations about um, religion and sex in the second half of this book. There's quite a few sex scenes that, again, I mentioned, they're still pretty, like, vanilla, but they're kind of spicy. Um, and... There's a lot of just, again, conversations about religion and sex that I found really interesting. And I would recommend this book to like anybody who grew up with a lot of religious shame around sex to anybody who wants to like see how somebody else might approach that topic. One of the things that really struck me was that the lesbian ex-wife did not know that she was gay because she was never taught that having sex was supposed to be pleasurable. That kind of conversation happens quite a bit in this book and it's really fun to read there's a another fun component where enoch doesn't swear he doesn't like to use any dirty words at all corinne has to um bridge that by not using any dirty words during sex and she's not really saying anything out loud anyway but in her head she's trying to cut out all of the like you know all the vulgar words you could use to describe genitals, like all that stuff. And she ends up landing on a bunch of like really, really clinical terms for things. And that's also not sexy. So she's just, she keeps bringing up that there's a conspiracy to keep them from talking about sex by giving them no words that fall between the spectrum of super clinical or super, super vulgar. This makes the writer do a lot of restricting of language in a fun game kind of way. Like she refers to at one point Corinne biting Enoch's xiphoid process, which I had to Google. It's the bottom part of the sternum. And she's laughing to herself that she had to use that word during sex. Another time Corinne is describing an orgasm and she describes a sewing box that lifts open into six compartments. She says her brainstem is like expanding that way during an orgasm. And I think the playing with language in this way is so fun. There are thousands of books of precedent of romance novels using the same exact verbiage of throbbing member and whatever else, and this writer chose to put herself in a corner to make it more interesting to read. To clear up, this does take place in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, that's my bad. There's one super target in Wichita. I don't know why I was so hung up on that. That's where it's taking place. I don't think the fact that it is or is not Kansas has anything to do with the book or the author, to be totally honest with you. 
Enoch's now cast out, Corinne is cast out, Shannon, the ex-wife, is cast out, but all at different levels. Enoch continues to go to church and hear the lessons. He still goes multiple times a week and just sits by himself and no one speaks to him because he's cast out. He and Corinne both know there's an unspoken thing that at some point they will want him to rejoin the church because he is an elder's son. He was an elder himself at some point, and he also is responsible for casting himself out, and they don't know why, but they know that he is, you know, he's he did something sinful, air quotes sinful, and he will probably be invited back at some point. Him and Corinne are falling in love. They're trying to figure out how to have sex without without like violating anyone's beliefs um you know corinne doesn't want to use birth control because it doesn't work for her very well like hormonally it's not good for her enoch's never worn a condom because his ex-wife was on birth control and he was married to her so it was like would have been a fine i guess if she got pregnant so there's a lot of conversations surrounding that and like what it means to have sex with somebody with or without birth control the to follow up on the double parentheses thing i brought up in the last section it the the parentheses thing is definitely just like uh some sort of it's a combination of like intrusive thoughts and like inner voice from corinne and there's a point where there's an entire paragraph where every sentence is in its own set of parentheses and it's definitely the climax of like corinne trying to figure out like what she's going to do with this relationship with enoch the whole time she's navigating like her work um, and their work doesn't understand, like, why are you spending so much time in Kansas at home? You know, you should be back here. You have friends, whatever. And eventually it just hits them both like a ton of bricks that they are adults. They're both over 30 years old. They're in love with each other and they want to get married. So Corinne proposes very nonchalantly and she's like, hey, we should just do it. Like, that'll help you get more in favor with the church in the future. She's still not going to join the church again, and they are very clear. But she was like, hey, we're we're in love. We might as well get married. There's not a lot of skirting around to do. Let's just have a courthouse wedding, just the two of us. And Shannon, the ex-wife, catches wind of it, and she's like, you don't get to have a wedding with no one there because I know you think no one wants to be there because your entire families have cast you out, which is true. You don't have other friends, which is true, which is part of why someone might mistake this book as a Stephanie Meyer book. We've got a couple that's like secluded in the woods with no one but each other, but they also seem to be like aware of how unhealthy that is and they wish that it were different. And that's where Bella and Edward would never so yeah, Shannon's like, you should have a nicer wedding. Like, just have more fun. Wear a dress, get some flowers, you can come over to my house. And we finally get to see, like, a really human side of Shannon, who she, you know, she and Corinne apologize to each other, because Corinne's like, hey, I slept with your boyfriend in high school. And she's like, yeah, well, I talked a lot of shit about you behind your back, so now we're good. And Shannon is like, hey, you can't, you can't let them take a happy wedding away from you just because they said that no one can come like just because the church doesn't like y'all doesn't mean that your wedding has to be this like dark dismal thing that you make every day of your life into so they agree that every day is hard and they have their wedding and um as a surprise enoch's brother shows up corinne's mom shows up a friend of the family alicia who's a big part of it who also like keeps the secret of them being together for a little while she shows up she's really happy they all have cake everyone goes home afterwards and yeah i found the story overall pretty devastating and beautiful there were moments that kind of made me cry which leads me into 
why I think this isn't Stephanie Meyer. Because I realized partway through that I'm kind of a hater. Um, I thought that I was more neutral towards Stephanie Meyer, which might be hard to believe given the name of this podcast. But it doesn't seem to me like Stephanie Meyer is capable of writing this kind of depth. And um, I think that this writer is really, really talented. I don't think Stephanie Meyer is. And I'm a hater, so maybe I'm the problem. On the off chance this is Stephanie Meyer, I'm sorry. I don't think... I didn't know. Uh, It is, I guess, possible that she could have grown this much to become, like, an actually talented writer of an actually good romance novel about religion. But I don't see it. There's so much self-reflection from the characters in this book. And there's... I know I said otherwise in these other parts, but that's because there's growth throughout the book, which I love. Every last character is extremely three-dimensional. I want them all to turn out okay, even the super religious ones, which is kind of a hard sell for me. It would be absolutely beautiful if Stephanie Meyer somehow managed to write a book where the main character sets boundaries, doesn't do what everyone tells her to do, defies gender expectations, and gets the love of her life. But that's kind of a hard book for anyone to write. And so I wouldn't pin it on the person who wrote the Twilight Saga. In conclusion, I'm not surprised that a book this personal would be written under a pseudonym instead of under an author's real name. There are some theories on Goodreads. Uh, The conclusion in the Goodreads comments is that this is not Stephanie Meyer, and I've only seen the Stephanie Meyer accusations in less bookish communities like TikTok. And some of the other people that... uh, it's been mentioned that it could be uh ellen hildebrand is a romance novelist she's written like 25 plus books she lives in pennsylvania some people thought that it could be her but then other people were adamantly against the possibility of it being her i've never read any of her books another person that came up is shannon hale who is another american author who lives uh she went to the university of utah she has an lds background as well I've also never read any of her books, but we're still in the same general area here of, like, women who are around the age of 50. Uh, They're all around the same age as Stephanie Meyer. The most convincing argument I've seen for a different author is Rainbow Rowell. I have never read any of her books either, but there was a Goodreads commenter who posted a review explaining why she thinks that this is Rainbow Rowell's book, and I'm going to read it to you as well as link to her Goodreads in the show notes. Um, Rainbow Rowell is born in 1973, the same year as Stephanie Meyer. She is from Nebraska. She writes young adult, new adult fiction, and contemporary fiction. She is also currently the writer for She-Hulk, which is fun. Coming from the Goodreads review, it's all speculation from this person whose name is Jen. She says, Corinne is a romance featuring a woman who has left her fundamentalist Christian community, but has recently reunited with her first love from high school, Enoch, Enoch, Enoch. Rebecca Morrow, the author, is a pseudonym for New York Times bestselling author. I enjoyed the book. I gave it four stars. Y'all, it is not Stephanie Meyer of Twilight fame. I could jokingly say because the writing in this is actually good, but that would be mean. In reality, it does not have her particular writing voice or style or quirks. That being said, this book's voice was very familiar to me, and after reading, I'm convinced it's Rainbow Rowell. Here's why. Rainbow Rowell tends to do a lot of parenthetical clarifications in her writing. She, too, has the occasional stylistic writing quirk that is inescapable. This was... Like I said, one of the biggest things I was like, Stephanie Meyer literally never does this. I can't imagine her inventing a writing quirk just for one book written under a pseudonym. Uh, 
Rainbow Rowell has a tendency to use the double anaphora and very rarely uses the rule of three. This means she has a tendency to repeat the beginnings of sentences or phrases two times, but rarely speaks in threes. This book is full of that, except for the Enoch, Enoch, Enoch repetition that often feels out of place. We, we get the double anaphora via parenthetical clarifications. I mentioned this as well. There's an undercurrent of humor at times in this book. Twilight isn't funny. Rainbow Rowell's other books are. Meyer tags nearly every line of dialogue. He said, she shouted, this book doesn't do that. Absolutely agree. This also stuck out to me. There's a lot of just one lines back and forth. And you can keep track of who's speaking, but that's like something that I have a hard time with usually. And I was really impressed that this writer was able to have such fluid conversation. And that was assigned to me that this was not Stephanie Meyer because there were no tags for the dialogue. Nerd references, Legend of Zelda and references to very early 90s. It fits Rainbow Rowell's age compared to the main character and they're on brand for Rainbow Rowell. At times, short sentence fragments and little trickles of info. This is a Rainbow Rowell quirk and not Stephanie Meyer. I agree with this as well. The writing is... I won't I'm not afraid to be mean to Stephanie Meyer, so I'll say it because Jen didn't. Stephanie Meyer doesn't write that creatively. She writes in very standard sentence lengths. Rainbow Rowell is self-proclaimed as someone who loves love stories, though she has a hard time connecting with them per her September 2nd, 2022 Instagram post. And this particular romance does have explicit sex scenes, but they're incredibly grounded in reality and at times intentional awkwardness rather than the escapism per traditional romance, which is why I think we can rule out the other romance writers that are noted here. Last sentence is mine. I cannot say the same for, for Meyer. Twilight was not grounded in reality. It's literally a fantasy book and was typically unintentionally awkward in sexual encounters. Uh, the book is set in Kansas. Rainbow Rowell sets most of her books in Nebraska or nearby geographically. Rainbow Rowell is part of the LDS faith community and the book's unspecified region has a lot of overlap with LDS style faith traditions, including the name Enoch. Rainbow Rowell's other adult novel, Landline, was also published by St. Martin's Press, which Corinne is published by. Rainbow Rebecca Morrow has the same number of letters in the first and last name as Rainbow Rowell. And Jen says, a stretch, I know, but I find it curious. Anyways, I'm curious to see what you all think of my deductions. I really did enjoy the book, and I'm loving the author mystery as well. Absolutely agree. Love the author mystery. Uh, I've really enjoyed reading this and looking for quirks in writing. I don't usually read that way, so this has been very fun. I've enjoyed it. I don't think it's Stephanie Meyer. And as a final little note to everybody, one of the things that I thought was funny is the way music is wrapped into this book because once Corinne leaves the church she starts listening to secular music because in her church they literally only listen to church music and there's a bunch of songs and artists explicitly mentioned by the author including Ben Folds more than once so I went ahead and put together songs or artists or lines that are brought up in this book into a playlist called The Secular Music of Rebecca Morrow. I have it on Apple Music and on Spotify, and I'm linking it in the show notes for the show so that you can go find those and see if you want to listen to the book based on this soundtrack. It's kind of a fun soundtrack. I also enjoyed putting that together. So I really hope you like this episode. Sorry, I don't think this book is Stephanie Meyer, but if you do read it, and you have a different opinion, or if you agree, please let me know. You can email network at gmail.com. You can slide into the DMs of Instagram at nermernermer, or however else you want to contact me. Um, 
It's all in the link tree, which is also in the show notes. I do recommend reading Corinne, especially if you have any sort of curiosity or interest or background in religion as it overlaps with sex, with that being the driving point of this book. So I hope you liked it. And Rebecca Morrow did not ruin my life. Thank you.